And uh, if we haven't met yet, my name's Mark, and let me extend a very warm welcome. Uh, not that you need any, any extra warmth. Um, please, I want to apologise in advance if I start coughing. You didn't do me any favours. Let me... Uh, let me pray. Before you do that, if you, if you haven't managed to find the passage, it was on pages 13 and 14. And um, it would be really helpful to keep that open in front of you so you can uh, see what I'm driving at. But let, let me pray as well. Heavenly Father, it is hot, we are tired. Uh, sometimes we struggle to find it, uh, to, to really be captivated by what you have to say. Father, please thrill us this morning with who you are, uh, with who you were making us to be. Amen. Well, that was a fairly horrifying story, actually, wasn't it? Um, That's the kind of story that tends not to make it into the cheerful children's Bibles about good old Father Abraham. In fact, I think it's a bit of a proof of how much the authors of the Bible believed in grace that a story like that made it into the Bible at all. Just think about it for a second. You've got kings all over the ancient world. If they so much as lose a minor battle, they're like, right, do not put that in the history books. Or you're next. Then you've got Abraham. Imagine him telling campfire stories. Grandad, tell us about the time when you lied and abandoned your wife to be married to another man so you could save your skin. Now, now, Jacob, Grandad doesn't want to tell that story. Actually, says Abraham, I do want to tell that story. Write that one down and the time it happened the other time. Because what happened in Egypt shows that our God is faithful even when we are unfaithful. What Abraham did in Egypt was really serious. But it turns out that God was even more serious about keeping his promises to sinners. Uh, If you weren't here last week, we're just getting started in this series on the life of Abraham. And in particular, it's about how Abraham shows us what it's like to live in the gap. Living in the gap between God making his promises to us and those promises finally coming true. So children, I expect you know what it's like when your parents promise you something, but it doesn't come true right away. Let's say one day your parents say, right children, uh, sometime soon we're going to go to Cadbury's World, um, which is like some kind of chocolate theme, theme park, I think. Um, but they don't, they don't tell you exactly when, and, and so you have to wait. Uh, and it certainly doesn't feel like sometime soon to you. Uh, in fact, whole days go by, and your parents still haven't arranged the trip, and it feels, frankly, like it, it could be years. This is a familiar experience uh, to anyone, maybe to some of the adults in the room as well. But what, what do you do when someone does that to you? Do you say, oh, well, I guess they were lying. I guess they're not going to keep their promise. Do you get really grumpy with them? None of the questions are rhetorical. Go for it. Do you decide that actually you're going to try and go to Cadbury's world yourself on your own two feet because your parents' show aren't going to help you? 
Or do you wait because you trust that your parents know what they're doing and they're going to keep the promise when the time is right? Now, it's hard to be patient, isn't it? It's hard to trust. When we want something, we tend to want it now. Grown-ups find that as hard as children, I think. Especially when it comes to God. But that is the situation that Abraham is in. Abraham, he's called Abraham at this point in the story. Uh, His wife is Sarah later on, but she's Sarai now. Don't let it confuse you, they're the same people. Now last week in chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, God made some huge promises. And children, there's a part of your activity booklet where you get to try and work out what uh, God promised Abraham. So you might want to pay particular attention to this bit. But God promised Abraham four things, and they all began with P. The first thing he promised Abraham was a place, the land of Canaan. And he said to Abraham, I'm going to give to your offspring this land. The second thing God promised was a people, huge numbers of descendants. Third thing he promised was protection. God promised Abraham blessing. He promised that if anyone blessed Abraham, they would get blessed. If anyone cursed Abraham, they would get cursed. And fourthly, God promised Abraham a plan. A big plan for the future. Through Abraham's descendants, God's going to bless the whole world. So people, place, protection, plan. These are quite some promises. The history of humanity so far hasn't been that great. Fall, flood, Tower of Babel. You know, if I'd been God, I'd probably have given up at this point. God says, actually, I'm not giving up on you. I'm going to fix everything through the descendants of one man. This is my big plan, which is actually going to take the rest of the Bible to unfold. And Abraham gets it. He believes God. He uproots his whole household. He takes Sarai and his nephew Lot. And they move to Canaan. They move to the land God said. And at first, everything's going great. But as we get into today's passage, 12 verse 10, it's all gone horribly wrong. Can you see what's gone wrong in verse 10 on page 13? There's a famine in the land. That means there's no food. And this isn't the case of Sainsbury's one out of pasta, so we're going to go and see if Little's got any. This is it hasn't rained for six months. And if we don't do something soon, we're all going to die. And our donkeys are literally dropping dead as we, as we look at them. And Abraham's thinking, I am so disappointed. You know, I really thought... I could trust God. I trekked halfway across the Middle East because God said that he would bless me. And now it turns out I can't even trust him to give me my daily bread. Oh well, he says, I suppose I'd better, I'd better just sort things out myself. I don't know if you've ever thought like that about God. When you do God's will and it all goes wrong regardless. When you realise that it's not going to go the way you thought. When the the plans fall apart, the pain doesn't go away, the prayers aren't answered. God doesn't keep you safe. Whatever bargain you thought you had with God, he hasn't kept it. Isn't that often the way God works though? Doesn't he often take us from a time of blessing into a time of great confusion? One minute everything's going really well. And the next thing it... God, God just seems to have pulled the plug. One minute, it's really easy to have faith. 
The next minute, that faith is all we've got left. One, one minute, we're, we're rejoicing in the promises of God. The next minute, we're clinging on to those promises with, for dear life. Because we're thinking, how can they possibly come true? And Abraham has a big struggle with this. But he doesn't ask God what to do. He doesn't say to himself, well, God promised he'd look after me. So that means I can stay in Canaan where he said I should be. He doesn't take into account the promises. He makes his own plans. He leaves Canaan and goes down to Egypt. And if you know your Bible history, that never tends to work out well. But, okay, so Abraham's chosen once to forget about the promises and look out for number one. He finds that having done that once, it's a heck of a lot easier to do it a second time. And when he gets to Egypt, the whole looking out for number one thing, it blows up in a much bigger way. Because Abraham realises that he's got a big problem. You look at verse 11, can you see what the big problem is? Abraham's wife is really beautiful. Now, okay, good, good for Abraham. You've noticed that your wife is beautiful. But that, Abraham is worried that some of the men in Egypt are going to want to marry her. Even though she's already married to Abraham. Abraham is worried the Egyptians are going to kill him so they can marry Sarai. That's pretty nasty, isn't it? Now, again, if Abraham was operating in perfect faith, he would say, well, God promised to give me a ton of descendants. So he's not going to let me be killed before I have any kids. But Abraham finds that really, really hard. In, in fact, he panics. He's probably up all night trying to work out what to do. And he says, tell you what, Sarai, let's pretend you're my sister. That's a really clever plan. Then no one's going to try and kill me to get to you. Now, we're not told what Sarai thought of this plan. It's quite possible that Abraham's trying to be clever. You see, if he pretends to be Sarai's brother, then in those days, in a situation like that, the brother would have been the one you had to negotiate with if you wanted to marry the sister. So Abraham's thinking, if, if anyone wants to marry Sarai, they'll come to her brother. And then we can start negotiating. Okay, 300 camels, 500, 400 camels, that's a bit much. Okay, never mind, bad luck, how about someone else? No, you can't afford it either. 1,000 sheep, okay, well, let me just go and chat with my nephew about that. And basically, put them off, put them off, put them off. Oh, look, the famine's over, we're off back to Canaan, goodbye. And we've all kept ourselves safe. Not sure, plausible idea, that's what he's trying to do. But, clever plan goes horribly wrong. Verse 15. Pharaoh decides he's interested in Sarai. And you can't negotiate with the king of Egypt. So Sarai has to go and live with Pharaoh and be his wife. And we ought to be feeling a little bit sick at this point. Not just because of the heat wave. Because Abraham has been horribly selfish here. 
But actually, what he's done is even more serious than lying, and it's even more serious than abandoning his wife. Because Abraham's given up on the promises. He's walked away from the promises. I mean, he's literally walked away from the place. He's walked away from the promise of a people. Because if he's, he's lost his wife, how is he now going to have kids? How is the promise going to come true? He's walked away from the promise of protection because he's, he, he certainly doesn't believe that God's going to keep him safe. He certainly doesn't believe that he's going to be a blessing to the Egyptians. So he, because he's lost sight of that, he starts scheming. And so humanly speaking, he's wrecked the entire plan. How is God going to bless the world through Abraham's descendants if Abraham doesn't have a wife anymore? But of course, thankfully, we're not just humanly speaking. And that brings us on to the second thing. If the first thing was Abraham's unfaithfulness, the second thing is God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness. Now, if I'd been God, I would have left Abraham in Egypt. I would have been like, I am so disappointed. I really thought I could trust Abraham there. I promised him such amazing things, and it turns out I can't even trust him to to pass the first test. Oh, well. Time to sort things out myself, I suppose. With somebody else. Forget Abraham. I'm sure I can find someone who's faithful. God just steps right in and sorts everything out. I mean, first of all, he makes sure that, that Abraham gets a bunch of, of extra stuff out of all this, because Pharaoh is so pleased that with Sarah that he gives Abraham a whole bunch of animals in verse 16. And then God, God shows that he's still keeping the promises. In verse 17, which of the promises is God keeping? Keeps the promise to curse those who curse Abraham. Because Pharaoh has really mistreated Abraham by stealing his wife, even though Pharaoh didn't realize what he was doing. Pharaoh shouldn't be just taking more and more wives. So God strikes Pharaoh with plagues. Pharaoh figures out what's going on, calls Abraham in, probably calls him into the hospital wing. And Pharaoh's like, What are you doing? Why did you lie? Why did you get us into this mess? Now look, clearly you've got someone up there looking out for you. I can't do anything to you. I'd probably quite like to. So go on. And it's, it's really abrupt. It's like, literally, here's your wife, take, go. Take your animals, take your goodies, go back to your stupid promised land, get rid of these plagues. Sound a little bit familiar? but this is hardly let my people go territory, right? This is Abraham, who's supposed to be this great, big, shining example of how good it is to walk with God. He's getting taught a lesson in honesty by this thieving, polygamist, idol-worshipping dictator. He's teaching him how to tell the truth. I bet he had a lot of thinking and praying to do on the way home. 
But Abraham and Sarai are back together. And now the promises can come true because God is faithful even when his people are unfaithful. Now we shouldn't presume that if we mess up, God will sort things out quite as dramatically as he did with Abraham. Because God knows that sometimes it is better to let us learn from our mistakes. And we have to remember that because, although the promises to Abraham were physical, the promises to us are spiritual. God doesn't promise us camels, but he does promise we'll become more like Jesus. He doesn't promise us donkeys either, but he does promise us that he's going to build his church. He doesn't promise us wealth or health, but he does promise that Jesus will come back, and if we've been following him, he'll say, well done, good and faithful servants. He does promise us the forgiveness of sins, and he does promise that when he sees one of us wandering down into Egypt, he will move heaven and earth to bring us back, to bring his lost sheep back into the fold. That is the kind of God he is. This is the God who loves even to use the fact that we've messed up to keep his promises, to make us realize that we need his help. And that's, that's a part of that, isn't there? If we're following Jesus, there's a part of that, us that is grateful for that, that knows that that is the most important thing, that whatever else we lose, God is keeping us. God is keeping us faithful to him. And that is what he has promised to do. Health or no health. Wealth or no wealth. God has promised to keep us in him. And that is what we will find him doing despite our stupidity in the most surprising ways. Maybe you've been in Egypt. Maybe, maybe right now you feel like you are in Egypt. Maybe you've been running away from what you knew was right. Maybe you felt that faithfulness to God was going to be so costly that you just had to do things the way the world does them. Maybe you've lied about being a, about being a Christian. Maybe you've lied about the tree. Maybe you've become so used to taking the safe option that you just can't imagine any other way of doing life. Here's God's message to you. I've still got you. You can still come back around. I am still here. I have not given up on you. And here's the encouragement as we move into our third and final point. Done very well. We're just going to spend the last few minutes on chapter 13. Because it shows that Abraham does turn, that it's not too late for him, that he does learn to live by faith. That he does learn to live by faith, chapter 13. Firstly, did you notice that in, in verses 1 to 4, things really slow down, and it, it really underlines that Abraham went back to the same places as he did before. He's physically retracing his steps. It's basically like he's walking backwards. He's walked away from the promises, through the Negev, down into Egypt. Now he walks back through the Negev, back to the place between Bethel and Ai, back to the place where he built an altar, and he goes back to worshipping God on the altar. 
back to raising up those sacrifices. It's almost like that terrible diversion never happened. Abraham is repenting. Following God does not mean that we get everything right. Abraham sinned. We're going to sin. Following God looks like this. He messes up, and then he doesn't try and defend himself. He doesn't say, well, thanks very much for getting, out of, getting me out of that scrape, God. Oh, I guess I'm, I'm Mr. Indestructible. I guess I can pretty much do what I like now, because you're going to sort me out. Well, hey, let's go and give away some more wives. Right? That would be completely missing the point, wouldn't it? Oh, he is humbled. He's not about to take advantage of God's forgiveness. He now realizes that God is so awesome, he now wants to do things God's way. He knows now that God is determined to keep his promises, even when Abraham messes up. He loves God. Now he wants to do things God's way. And we see that change straight away because immediately Abraham has another choice about where to go. Verse Verses 8 and 9, basically, well, verses 5 to 9. You see, they've actually got a problem now, Abraham and Lot, his nephew, who's been with him. They've actually now got too many animals. And say, so, <laughs> good problem to have, but if they stay in the same place for too long, the place is going to look like the, after, basically it's going to look like the aftermath of the children's group room after the, the kids' group have been in it in the weekend away. Like the whole place is chewed up, there's, there's just devastation everywhere. And the shepherds are fighting as well, so they've got to split up. But this time, Abraham lets Lot choose first. Because he, he doesn't mind where he goes, as long as he stays in the promised land. Now, he's now trusting God to keep him safe wherever he goes. But Lot shows that he hasn't learned the lesson of Egypt. Verse 10. Lot makes the same mistake that Abraham already made. Lot starts thinking with his eyes. He goes with what looks good. He doesn't think with his ears. Remembering God's promises. He starts thinking with his eyes. He looks down to the Jordan Valley. And he sees a green and pleasant land. No famines there. Probably two harvests a year. It even, verse 10, looks like the land of Egypt. Hmm. Bit of a red flag, maybe. But the big problem is verse 13. It's full of people who are against the Lord. And Lot doesn't think that's a problem. Lot, Lot apparently doesn't mind if his family grow up surrounded by people who don't care about God. If they have no no church, no Christian friends, no one to pray with. Lot doesn't think about how his own faith is going to do. And there's literally no one around him who worships the same God. But Abraham decides to stay in the promised land. In the land of Canaan. Where God said he should be. And so while Lot is sleeping off another scrumptious banquet with the uh, people of Sodom, Abraham is packing up his tents in the cold grey morning 
and getting ready for another trek through the hills. And having chosen to live by faith, having chosen to think with his ears and trust God's promises, now Abraham gets to see, gets an even clearer look at the promises. It's not like God's rewarding him for his faith. I mean, God promised all this stuff even before Abraham had done anything to deserve it. But the more Abraham learns to trust God, the more he sees what this promised future is going to look like. In verse 16, you know, he's already promised Abraham a bunch of offspring. But in verse 16, he says, now they're going to be like the dust of the earth. I couldn't even count the number of grains of dust in our garden. Abraham's getting a promise that he can scarcely imagine. And Abraham says, God says to Abraham, you know, take a look at this place, explore it. This wood, this hill, this river, they're going to be yours, they're going to be your people's. The more Abraham bathes in the promises, the more he fixes his mind on the promises, the more he fixes his heart on the promises, the more real it's going to become. God goes deeper, God goes further, God goes kinder. And Abraham still walks by faith. As we leave him until next week, we're going to leave him at Hebron in verse 18. Quite ordinary, really, at this point. Doesn't say much, does it? It's just, just there, another place, another, another tent stop, another altar. Another chance to worship God. Another Sunday. Another prayer. That's the Christian life, isn't it? Just walking on through the, through the world, waiting for the promises. Waiting for the meek to inherit the earth. A little bruised, a little battered. A little shown up, a lot repentant, but a lot blessed, a lot forgiven, and so a lot walking by faith. There's going to be a lot more twists and turns before the end of the story. There's going to be a lot of trials, there's going to be a lot of triumphs. But Abraham does keep walking by faith, because Egypt, it turns out, was not a dead end. Egypt was a chance to learn something really significant about God. Our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. Our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more.